are listening to Cold Lake Community Church Podcast. I hope today's message inspires you. Cold Lake Community Church, a place where families come together. I um, mentioned last week about the minister's gathering in Banff. And the speaker there was Todd Hudnall. And he challenged us with powerful messages on revival and renewal. He wrote a book, The Church Come Forth. And he's saying that in North America, many churches are sick, some are asleep, And some have already died. There's a quote from his book that I want to use to open the message this morning. When Christ looks upon churches, I imagine his response is much the same as when he stood before the grave of Lazarus and wept. Jesus weeps because he loves his church. He weeps that in America every year 4,000 churches close their doors forever. Oh, that's right. I didn't misread it. I didn't misprint it. In America, every year 4,000 churches close their doors for good. He weeps that those in the church have lifestyles and standards nearly identical to the world around them. Yet Jesus does more than weep. In the case of Lazarus, Jesus prayed, ordered the stone removed, and cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. Today, Jesus is saying, church, come forth. Jesus said of Lazarus in John 14, or John 11, rather, verse 4, this sickness is not unto death, but that the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified in it. This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified in it. Folks, it doesn't matter how far we have gone, how much we have dried up in our our walk with God, in our relationship with God. I contend that these bones shall live. Dry bones can live. It's impossible with man, but it's possible with God. And for this same reason, Jesus revives his people. So life is coming back into the church. We're not the only group of people that are sensing the move of God in their lives. It's happening all over, folks. You go to a big conference and people are saying the very same thing. 
God is up to something. There's something happening. There's a stirring in the atmosphere. We feel it in our spirit. We feel it in our bones. The psalmist, in Psalm 85, verse 5, uh, verse 6 says, Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? You see, the Lord delights in the praises of his people. It delights the heart of God when his children stand and worship and sing and raise their hands and just give glory to God and feel good in their spirit that, that God is touching them once more. Some 30 or 40 years after after his death and resurrection, Jesus is dictating a message to the churches. We're going to be looking at the seven churches of Revelation. Today we're going to cover the church in Ephesus and the, and the church in Smyrna. But here it is 40 years later, and Jesus is finding if for most of these churches, except for basically two churches of the seven, Jesus is finding some very serious problems that is taking place within the church. And he's giving the church warning. He's telling them, if you don't change, if you don't wake up to what is happening, you're going to be in trouble. You see, there's nothing goes unnoticed with God. God knows exactly what is going on. And so these seven letters to the churches in Asia is basically, do you have that, uh, that uh, map to put on there, my brother? Is, is basically this a message to all of the churches. Now, some people take the position that each of the churches represents a certain period of the church history. But I contend that if we will look, if we will look carefully and listen carefully to the message that God gave the church, we will find that this refers to some things that's going on in our church, in our church body, among some of our members. We individually make up the church. And so if there is one person that is out of sync with what God is doing, then it's hurting the whole body. John is an old man now. He's in prison for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. This map that you see here, you see all those red dots? Those red dots are where the churches, those seven churches are that God gave the message to. And you will notice that all of those churches are in what is now modern-day Turkey. And if you know anything about history at all, you'll know that Turkey is a Muslim country. 
I don't know too much about the church in Turkey right now, the Christian church, but I do know this, that they're under persecution. Anyone who dares to call themselves a Christian don't have it nice and easy like you and I have it to come into a church without any restrictions. Worship God with all of your heart. Share the truths of God's word. John says in Revelation chapter 1 verse 10, and 11, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. It was Sunday. The Lord's Day in the Bible, always Sunday. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, and I heard behind me a, a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches. And so this is what John is doing. He's revealing what God had showed him on the Isle of Patmos. And you see those little dots, those islands out there? In the middle, all those dots are islands. One of those little islands, in fact, it's probably not, not shown there on that map because it's so small. But it's there in a prison on that island, a prison island. Something like Alcatraz, Alcatraz. And so he's there because he preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. These letters give clear instruction in what needs to be done to revitalize and restore the church. Jesus is walking, the Bible says, in the midst of the churches. He loves his church. He loves the people. He loves us even when we ignore him. When we decide, ah, I, you know, I don't see much sense in going to church anymore. And listen, when you ever get to the place where you're talking about your church and you're not saying we, but you're saying they, you are getting in, dangerous, in a dangerous spot. Because the good and the bad and the ugly is contained within these walls this morning and God loves us all. And God wants to, to help us to come to that place where we can have good, intimate relationship and fellowship with him. When there's a problem in the church, when there's a problem with, with a brother or a sister, the church's got a problem. We got a problem. They don't have a problem. We have a problem. Amen? But because the church is made up of people, we have to know that God is concerned and so he points out our imperfections. And that's a good thing. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5, 25 to 27, Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her 
that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Now, do that sound anything like the world to you? That's not the run of the mill of people of the world, is it? Without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. How do we get to be that way? Well, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. When we ask Christ into our life, he cleanses us from that sin. It doesn't matter what we've done. When once you say, Lord, I'm a sinner, forgive me, I accept Jesus as the payment for all of my sin, you're saved. That's it. You're born again. But how are you going to stay that way? How are you going to keep clean and pure and spotless without any blemish? How are you going to do that? By the washing of water by the word. Folks, if we ignore the word, we're asking for trouble. We get into that rut and we find ourselves like that church in Ephesus. Straying away from the faith. Straying away from our love relationship with God. Okay. So we're in Revelations chapter 2, and I'm going to be reading portions of it as I go down, but Revelation chapter 2, and we'll read verse 2 and 3. And Jesus is talking to the church in Ephesus, and this is what he says. I know your works. This is what is right now. This is my first point. What is right with the church at Ephesus? I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. That sounds good, doesn't it? That's, every church should be like that. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. Good to have discernment in the church, isn't it? And how are you going to test? The only way you can test if something is right or wrong is if you know what the Word of God says. That's the standard. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my namesake and have not become weary. But this, you go down to verse 6 and he says, but this you also have that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans that I also hate. These people, they participated in in orgies, they participated in worship to idols and sexual sin. And God said, you hate that, and so do I. See, nothing goes unnoticed. As I said before, nothing goes unnoticed from God. He sees the good, the bad, and the ugly. It, and isn't it amazing that he points out what is right before he addresses what is wrong? He encourages them and says, hey, listen, guys, 
I appreciate what I see here. I, I like this. I like the fact that you, are, that you are full of patience, you just stick to it, and you, and you, and you hate the things that are, that are against me. But listen, the Bible says in John chapter 3, 17, God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So you might know something about somebody. Very few people who don't know something about somebody. And those somethings sometimes are not too good. But I want you to know something. That God knows it as well. God knows it as well. And he died for those people. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. That's what it's all about, folks. Anytime the church sets herself up as somebody holier than thou or better than you, we're setting ourselves up for a fall. God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might have life, that they might be saved. This was a dynamic church. It, it gave much effort to, to, and time to the activities of the church. They stood for the truth of God's word. Biblical doctrine was very important to them. Some, some, I, I, have, I have heard Christians over the years Thumbs down on doctrine. We don't need doctrine. What a silly statement to make. Doctrine in the Bible is the teaching of God's Word. We need strong teaching of the Word of God. And that's why I'm promoting 100% the teaching sessions that John will be doing in midweek. Those people could spot a false doctrine and false prophets a mile away because they knew the Word of God. They knew the Scriptures that they had been given. The letters from the apostles, the epistles that had been passed around they were following the Word of God, and they were following the Old Testament Scriptures too. And anyone who suggests to you that we can just forget the Old Testament, as far as I'm concerned, is phony. You're leaving out something that is very, very important. You, we don't have to reinvent the wheel God has already put some things in motion, showed us what happens when you go wrong, showed us what happens when you go right, and you follow those instructions, and you won't make the same mistakes that they made. And if you follow the instructions, you'll receive the same blessings that they received. Amen? Amen. So they were determined to endure through troubled times. 
and persecution. And God commended them for that. But wait a minute. Religious people will do this in a flash. How many religious people do you know? They would adhere to most of these things. So what's wrong with the church in Ephesus? He says, nevertheless, I have, verse 4, nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. The love relationship has gone cold. The flame has gone out. They're just going through the motions. And they don't even realize it. Oh, we, sometimes we like to name a church or a denomination and say all they got is ritual. They go through the same thing over and over and over again. Don't kid yourself. We got just as much ritual as any mainline denomination. You can almost set your clock and say, I'm going to go in at such a minute and this is what they're going to be doing. And you would be correct. They were going through the motions and how many of us, we sing a catchy tune and we can jump a little. Or we can shout. How many of us, you sing a good worship song, and you can raise your hands and tears will flow from your eyes. And we're going through the motions. Our life don't match up to what really is taking place. And in light of what Jesus reveals, they fit Paul's exhortation in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 2 and 3. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver my body to be burned but don't have love, I gain nothing. Folks, that's the word. Doesn't matter how much I speak in tongues. Doesn't matter how much I prophesy. It doesn't matter what I do in the name of Christianity. If I do not have love, I am not being a part of the body of Christ. And I'll show you what God says. This is the problem with the church in Ephesus. 
This includes love for God, love for fellow Christians, and love for the, our fellow man, for others. The Bible is clear that one cannot exist without the other. It is also a stark reminder that a church can function without love. Yes, you heard me right. A church group, okay, can function without love. Can, not can't, can, okay? But the consequences is to have a form of godliness but denying the power. You will not... In other words, you will not experience the power and the presence of God in a church where there's no love. Without the Holy Spirit, eventually, a church will eventually cease to exist. And the Holy Spirit cannot dwell amongst people where there is no love. When we think of loving God, it is a response of love. 1 John 4, yeah, 1 John 4, verse 19. For we love him because he first loved us. Amen? That's how we become, came to love Jesus. It was his love for us that drew us to him. We heard people talk. We heard messages. Somehow, some way, through all of the different medias that we have today, the message came to our heart. Suddenly, we became aware of how much God loved us. And when we dared to just say, Lord, if this is so, then I want you. I want to serve you. His love is shed abroad in our hearts. And we come to love him. Amen? Love to fellow Christians is a love that reflects God's love to us. John says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 20, If someone says, I love God, but hates a fellow believer... That person is a liar. Now, this is not my words. This is, a, this is directly from the Bible. 1 John 4, verse 20. If that person says he loves God and, 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 and hates a fellow believer, he's a liar. For if we don't love people that we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? And he has given us this commandment. God has given us this commandment. Those who love God must also love their fellow believers or their brothers also. To love unbelievers is to reach out to them, being concerned for their temporal welfare and their eternal destiny. To love God, to love the world, is to reach out with love and compassion. The church in Ephesus had lost their first love and were in danger of ceasing to be a church. Their first love was Jesus Christ. And if they were going around saying they loved Jesus, 
and we're being hateful towards their brothers in Christ, their sisters in Christ, or the people around them, then they were really lying. And Jesus said, if you keep doing that, you're going to cease to be a church. You're going to cease to be my church. Remember, therefore, he said, verse 5, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you and quickly remove your lampstand, remove your church from this place, unless you repent. This is not a bunch of sinners he's talking to here. He's talking to his church. And he's saying, church, wake up. You're doing some things wrong. You've left your first love. Repent of that. Repent. So, number three is, how can we fix the problem in a church like Ephesus? How can we fix that problem? They may have lost their love for him, but he hadn't lost his love for them. Get it? The whole message is love. Jesus is saying, I I love you. You may be showing in your actions and your deeds that you don't love me, but I want you to know I love you. I still love you. Even when you were a sinner, before you ever came to me, I loved you. That's why I died. I loved you so much I died so you wouldn't die. I want you to have full eternal life. He outlines the necessary response and in a nutshell it is this. Remember, repent, and repeat. How many know That when you begin, when you start to think back, just think back. We can all think back. Man, there was a time when I was closer to God than I am right now. Some of the things that I indulge in right now, when I first came to Jesus, that was a sin. Somehow over time, I have allowed those things to creep into my life. I've made excuses for it. First, it bothered me. First, I would go and I would pray and say, Lord, I sin, forgive me. But as I continued to do these things, it became less and less apparent to me that it was a sin. And I began to take the attitude things my father and mother believed, the things the fathers of the churches believed. Oh, that was legalistic. Legalism. We don't have to bow to that anymore. We are free. Those who the Son of Man sets free is free indeed. And we've twisted that somehow to condone the thing. The very things that Jesus said, if you don't repent of it, you're going to lose your church. You're going to lose your standing. 
This is what he's saying. You're going to lose your light in your community. And people will flock from this group and they will go somewhere where some man or woman of God is standing for the truth and they don't care what anyone thinks. They don't care how many people comes or how many people leaves. One thing for certain, they're going to preach the word of God and they're going to preach it like it should be preached. And you make the decision. So you remember, Lord, I've drifted away. And so if you, if, you, if you remember that you've drifted away, then you obey God and you say, repent, I re- I'm going to repent. I'm going to turn away from that. Folks, it doesn't matter how deep the devil has, has dragged you into deception. If you, if you realize today that you have made some mistakes, you have sinned, and you want to come back to God, God will forget all of that. That's all washed away. Bible says if we sin, he's talking to the church, and he says if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Folks, we don't have a leg to stand on. If we use our excuses for the way we're living, we don't have a leg to stand on. Jesus has made a way. He's made it so easy, so clear. All you have to do is trust him. Remember and repent. And then he says, repeat, do the first works. Anyone who thinks you can come to Jesus, do what needs to be done, and and follow him for a couple of years, and then live like the devil for 20 or 30 years, and then come back to him, and somehow you can just live loosey-goosey. You can't do that. You got to repeat. You got to go back to the way you started. You got to do the same things again. Truth is still truth. The Bible is still the Bible, and you still got to follow the ways of God. Doing the first works means back to basics. Prayer, Bible, worship, fellowship, obedience to God's word, and love. When Jesus said, go back to the, to the first works, repeat your first works, this is what he's talking about. Prayer, Bible study, Worship, fellowship, obedience, love. That's what he wants. And then we go to the persecuted church, and God don't have anything bad to say about the persecuted church. In 
verse 8 of chapter 2 of Revelation, it says, And to the angel of the church of Smyrna write, These things says the first and the last, who was dead and came to life, I know your works, tribulation and poverty, but you are rich. And he's talking about it means spiritual rich. You're rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not. but are, are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear any of those things which are about to come upon you or you're about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you in prison that you may be tested and you will, be, you will have tribulation for 10 days. Be faithful until death and I will give you a crown of life. That's what God is asking for his church. Be faithful until unto death, and I will give you a crown of life. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death, that is the lake of fire. There's no question that the message to the churches is from Jesus Christ himself. At the beginning of each letter, he makes it clear that it this is not anyone else's opinion. It's not John's opinion, but it is word-for-word word instruction to his people, the church. It's instruction from Jesus. So we must examine ourselves and see if the message includes anything that is in my attitude, in my life, problems or situations that I'm going through. And if so, the message is for me. The people who were persecuted and poverty-stricken, yet Jesus said they were spiritually rich. Conclusion. What is Jesus saying to the church today? What is Jesus saying to me? What is Jesus saying to you? You know, I get a, I get a double blessing. When I'm preparing these messages, I get it first. And I try, if there's something wrong, I try to make that right. Because I don't want to be coming to you as a hypocrite. I don't want to be saying, do as I say, but don't do as I do. Amen? So I've gone through this. And just in case I miss something, the Lord is downloading into my spirit right now. So I'm getting a double whammy. What's Jesus saying? First of all, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. He's not talking about those things. He's talking about your spiritual sensitivity. Hear what the Spirit is saying. If you, missed a, you missed a tremendous message if you weren't here on, uh, last, uh, last uh, midweek. John gave us a tremendous teaching on, on, on uh, being spiritually in tune. God is a spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in the spirit and truth. Okay? God's spirit speaks to my human spirit. That's how he communicates to me. 
That's how he communicates to you. And when he speaks to our human spirit, we need to take, take heed. So he that has an ear to hear, let him hear what the spirit is saying to the church. And this phrase is repeated to all seven churches. Every church, he says the same thing. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. Jesus is saying, my church is about relationship. My church is about love, acceptance, and forgiveness. It's not every, anything goes. Everybody is welcome through the doors of this church. No matter how deep your sin, no matter how far away you are from God, you are welcome here. But the membership of this church, the people who name the name of Jesus, there is a certain code that you have to adhere to. And that is the truth of God's word. Members submit themselves to the leadership of Jesus Christ. And those who are under shepherds in the church. As they submit themselves to Christ. And so, if there's something going wrong, if there's something astray in your life, in time expect somebody to speak to you in love and encourage you to change your mind, to change your heart, to change your attitude, to line up with the Word of God. Jesus is saying, my, my church is my bride. She loves me and I love her. And he's calling out to come back to me, my people. Return to your first love. I still love you. Many of us in our congregation can understand that in the real world, in the physical He has called us to overcome, to be overcomers, victorious winners. We are not to follow the crowd. We are not to follow popular opinion. We are never to say, well, so-and-so is a Christian and he does this so I can do it. No, 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 no. What does the Bible say? Today it's not even what does your church say. It is what does the Bible say. Oh my. I think I'm going over again. We've got communion this morning, folks. Jesus said to him who overcomes, I will give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. 
he who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death, the lake of fire. We call it hell. Revelation calls it the lake of fire. Every prodigal son and daughter must come the same way. The message is relevant to every individual in every generation. It's relevant for us here today. The question is, will we receive it? If God has spoken to your heart today, will you receive it? What is God saying to you? That's the beautiful thing that the world calls preaching of the gospel foolishness. But the beautiful thing is that I can preach this message. And a whole lot of you can hear a whole lot of things that I didn't say verbally with my mouth. Because the Holy Spirit got your number. He knows exactly where you're sitting. And he's speaking to you. And you and only you are responsible for what you do with the word. If the Spirit is speaking to you, if you need to do some business with God, you better do it before you leave it today. Because if we keep on just ignoring what God is saying, we're only going to go deeper in debt, and I mean spiritual debt, and farther away from his love and his presence. And nobody wants that. Amen? We hope you've been blessed by this teaching from Coley Community Church. Thank you for your continued support of this ministry. Holy Community Church, a place where families come together.